Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad I'm here this morning. Amen. And we are going to continue. We started, I don't know how many weeks ago, I guess four weeks ago, on looking in, in Acts. Paul was in the middle of a storm, and they threw out three anchor, or four anchors to steady the ship as it was being driven by the storm. And we saw Jesus said that um, for every Christian, you're going to face storms. You're going to face wind. The difference as to whether or not your house stands or does not stand is whether you are a doer of the word or just a hearer. If you hear the word and don't do it, you will fall. Your life will fall. That does not mean, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. That does not mean that you're going to die and go to hell. That just means that the devil's going to come in and beat your brains in, steal your stuff, destroy your life. He's done it. He's done it in my life. But when you hear the word and you do the word, then your life will stand. It does not mean it's not going to be tested. We will be tested every time, especially when you get in faith about something. That's when the devil takes you as a threat. Last week, we, we, we looked at one of the four anchors, which is we have a purpose. There's a reason that you're here on this planet. And we looked at the Westminster Catechism that asked the question, what is man's chief end? Put that in modern language, why am I here? Is there a purpose for my life? And they answered it, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is why we exist on this planet, is to glorify God. And, and Jesus reflected that. The, where they got that for that catechism is from John 17. This is Jesus' prayer, and we're, we're gonna, I just want to focus in on a couple little things before we move on. This is John 17, starting in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's talking about me and you. I've never heard Jesus say anything directly. I've never stood toe-to-toe with the man, Jesus. But I have heard his report, the report that's recorded in his word. I've heard the report that other people who God, Jesus, has dealt with, you listening to their testimony. And because of that, I have believed. That's where we are. This is talking about us. Verse 21 says, That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, they also may be one with us. That's talking about us being completely united with the Godhead. It's one thing for Jesus to say, Father, you and I are one. It's a different story for me to say, Jesus, you and I are one. And if Jesus and I are one, then Jesus or me and the Father are one. That, my, my head has a hard time wrapping around because I know how, how fallen I am. But I can take Jesus' word. And he goes on. The reason we have that is that the world may believe that you sent me. This is the one that just verse that has a, a really hard time with. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be just as we are one. 
Jesus took the glory that the Father gave him and he planted that glory in us. And he did it so that we could reveal Jesus to a lost and dying world. In the same way that he came to reveal the Father to the nation of the Jews. Now, he, he, he was called primarily to the Jews. He also ministered to the Gentiles. And I challenge you, I'm not going to go look at it. But if you go look at when, when Jesus went to his hometown, Nazareth, everybody focuses in on the fact that, that they were angry with him. They wanted to take him out and throw him off a hill. But you read that passage. When he was quoting scripture in the synagogue, they were very happy and they were thrilled with him. They were not angry. It wasn't until he said, but as in the days of Elijah, and he started quoting scripture that said, God couldn't find anybody in the Jews that he could work through. So he went to a widow in Zarephath. He went to a Gentile woman. And then he names two or three instances where God went to the Gentiles because the Jews wouldn't listen to him. That's when they got mad. Because he was telling them, you all aren't believing in me. And I can't work through you. So I'll go to the Gentiles. It's, it's subtle, but it's there. That's us. He is coming to us. Verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. God is trying to convince us that he has made us one with Christ. And if we ever get a hold of that, then the world will start to see who we are in Christ, and they'll get a revelation of him. Amen? So we, we had the pattern. The Father sent Jesus to glorify him. Jesus has sent us to glorify Jesus. That's why we're here. And then I want to touch just... 1 Peter 1.13. Peter had gone through the first 12 verses of, of 1 Peter 1. He told us all the things that Jesus has given us, which basically is everything in heaven. All of our inheritance. We have access to it right now. Verse 13, though, he says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all of your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. That is ultimately, that revelation is, is looking at when Jesus comes back bodily. But remember, he's here now in us. So we put our hope in the salvation that we have on the inside of us now. And then in 1 Peter 2, 9... He makes these statements, and I want you to pay attention to the tense of the verbs here. You are a chosen people. Not will be. You are. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. Now, he, Peter quits using the you are, but I'm going to throw it in there for emphasis. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. He gives us four promises. He says, these four things you are right now. You are, a cho you are a chosen people. I chose you. God's saying this. I chose you. I've made you my priests. I call you a holy nation. And you're my possession. 
I don't know about you, but I have a few prized possessions. I guard them pretty close. They don't just get down used every day. There are some things usually connected with family. Are, they are treasured. I, they bring back memories that I treasure. And so those things, they have a special spot in my house. That's what God's saying right here. You're my possession. You are on my trophy case right up there. As I said before, you go into heaven, you look at the refrigerator, your picture's sitting right there on the refrigerator. And there's no higher place in my house than on the refrigerator. That's, where the, that's a place of honor. So he says there in 2 Peter, as a result of that, you can show others the goodness of God. He's declared those are ours so we can show people the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's a fifth one. We are already called out of darkness. We're in the light. We have the light on the inside of us. I'm not waiting to get lit. I'm already lit. And he, and he said in the, in the Gospels, don't put your light under a basket. Let it shine. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. He goes on, verse 10, once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. That's my identification. Once you received no mercy, but you have now received God's mercy. As I said before, we go up that mountain with empty hands because we can't do anything. Salvation is all Jesus, none me. Even the faith that I used to receive that salvation, he gave me that faith. I've done that so that I can identify with him. Now, let's just be honest. Most of us, when we talk about identifying with Christ, our, our, our first question is, but I'm a sinner. Most Christians have a greater revelation of their sin nature than they have of their righteousness. If you remember back, and this is, I don't know, it's been a year or so, I, went, I did a sermon series on, on the paradoxes of, of faith. And one of the paradoxes is you have to be fully aware of your capacity to sin, but fully aware of your capacity to do righteousness because you are righteous. My flesh, this physical fleshly body, you cut it, it bleeds, has the nature of sin in it. But this ain't me. This body that you see is not me. And the way I know that, if I put a bullet in my brain, this body will drop dead and it's going to go back to the elements that, that it came from, which is the earth. The real me will still be here. Now, once I get detached from my body, I'm going to heaven or I'm going to hell. The decision's made before I ever die. Because once you're dead, that, de that decision is enforced by God. But that's the real me, not this thing. And the way you know that is you get older, you know that. Because when you get up, I don't know, maybe you don't have this, exp this experience. But every morning I get up and, I, and when I go past the mirror in the bathroom, I'm surprised. It's like, who is that old man? In my head, I'm still 17-year-old John Roberts. When I crawl out of bed and, and everything goes snap, crackle, pop, 
I know that's not true. Then he, now if you could see the real me, my spirit, I would look much more like the 17-year-old than I do the, the old fat me. Why? Because the real me grows and gets better rather than aging and, and deteriorating. That's the new me is who I have to identify with. Now, how do we know that? How do we, how do we live this out? Well, I want to look at Romans 5.17. This is one of the best verses. This shows what happened between Adam, of Adam and Eve, and the second Adam, Jesus. Verse 17, Romans 5 says, For if by one man's offense, that's Adam's sin... And notice it's Adam's sin, not Eve's sin. Why is it Adam's sin? Eve took the first bite. She handed it to Adam because Eve was deceived and Adam was not. Eve got tricked into, into sinning. Now, she died just as surely as Adam did, but Adam did it willingly. Getting tricked into doing something wrong and doing it willingly, two different offenses. That's why we... Adam is the father of sin. Well, actually, the devil is the father of sin, but Adam let that into the earth. But through that one offense, death reigned through that one. But notice, much more, not just more, much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. The, the sin that Adam left in, let into the world through his sin, the death, excuse me, the death that he let into the world through his sin has reigned, and it is still reigning in this life. If you live long enough, you're going to die. Barring Jesus coming back in the rapture, we're all facing death. It's inevitable. But he says, how much more, if you've received grace and the gift of righteousness, will you reign in this life through Jesus Christ? It, the life of God, the light of God, is much more powerful than the sin of Adam. And it says we will reign. Well, my question is, what does it mean when it says death reigns? I know that means we're, we're dying. We're going to die. We're subject to death. Paul goes on, I think it's in Romans 8, talks about our mortal body. That if, if, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, that same spirit, the Holy Spirit, will give life to our mortal body. That's our body that's subject to death. And because it's subject to death, it gets old. It gets cranky. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to. But how, other than that, how does death reign? We see that. Best in Galatians. Galatians 5, verse 19, I just want to touch one part. Paul says to the church at Galatia, he says in verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. They are well able to see the works of the flesh. In verse 21, though, he goes through and ends the list of the works of the flesh. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. But then he adds this little phrase, and the like. That tells me right there that that list that he gives of the works of the flesh is not exhaustive. 
It's representative. It's these kinds of things. He goes on. He says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, he uses such things. He's saying you may be able to master every one of those individual items, but there's an inexhaustive list of other ways that the flesh will manifest itself. And they're all self-evident. They're all obvious to you. But then he goes on. I love this. Verse 22, he goes, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But again, he adds this phrase, against such there is no law. That is not an exhaustive list. There are a lot of fruits of the Spirit that aren't listed here. Anything that the Holy Spirit prompts you to do that shows forth the glory of God, that shows forth the nature of Jesus, that's a fruit of the Spirit. And there's nothing that, that the law says that, that there is, that is, or that the law says you can't do this. There is no law against manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what Jesus was talking about in John 17, that we're going to display the glory of God. We do it by manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Now, go back real quickly to um, Romans 5.17, when Paul says that if you've received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you will reign in life. That's in the future tense. The question is, what's the future of what? Is it in the, our future? I will reign. When Jesus comes back and I get rid of this flesh, then I can reign in life. Or is it future from when Jesus made his sacrifice and the Holy Spirit came upon us? That's a legitimate question. Because if it's future for me, then it means I can't really reign in this life. I'm just going to live by, by the best way I can, try the best I can, but I'm subject to all my weaknesses. I'm subject to the whim of the devil. And I try hard, but sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But if it's future from Jesus' sacrifice, from his death, burial, and resurrection, then I'm living in that future now, and if it's possible for me to reign in life, then I'm required to figure out how to reign in life. It's not just a, well, you just do the best you can. Sometimes you eat the bear, sometimes the bear eats you. No, if you're smart when you go out in the woods and you know there are bears there, you take a big gun. The bear tries to eat you, you shoot the bear. The Bible clearly says when the devil comes in, comes in like a roaring lion, but if you resist him steadfast in the faith, he has to flee. So when does this take place? The best answer to that is in the next chapter of Romans in chapter 6, verse 14. New King James says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. That is present tense. Sin has no dominion over me. Why? For you are not under law, but under grace. My status changed. I'm no longer under the law of Moses. 
I'm no longer even under my own law. Because when you read through Romans, Paul makes it very clear. If you're not a Jew and you don't know anything about the law of Moses, you'll make up your own law. It's not about being a Jew or not being a Jew. It's about being a human being. And you'll make rules that you can follow so that you can say, oh, I'm okay. I did this and this and this and this, and that makes me okay. And you know, you know how we, we always make those rules up? If, if I compare my life and Steve's life, he's got areas where he's really strong and I'm really weak. He's got areas where I'm really strong and he's really weak. All of my rules deal with and his, weakness, his weaknesses that are my strengths, I can look down on him. Uh, he's just a sinner. Why? Because he's, he he's violating my rules. But I'm a man of faith and power. Why? Because I can stay above my law. Well, whoop-de-doo. The law is perfect. The law is Jesus. He's perfection. That's my standard. And there's not a one of us have ever done that. And, 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 but sometimes as people, not just Christians, but as people, we, we want to divide people up and make gradations, different grades. Here's the cutting line. There are people that are kind of good Christians, but not very. They're just barely functioning. They sin a lot. And then there's the really faith people. They're, they're, they're right up there next to Jesus. And then there's the sinners. And some of them are not real bad sinners, but then are some are really bad sinners. Do you realize that whole thing is hogwash? <laughs> it's either or. You're either a sinner or a saint. You're in or you're out. If you're a sinner, you're as bad as Hitler, Stalin, the worst mass murderer you can think of, the lowest human being you can imagine, that's you. Well, but I haven't done all those things. It doesn't matter. You're still a sinner. It's like saying, are you a sheep or a goat? There's no sort of goat. You're either a goat or a sheep. And if you're a sheep, you're a full sheep. And it doesn't matter how well you manifest the, the um, attributes of a sheep. You know, if, you, if you've ever seen the, the video, there's, I, I forget, um, there's like a little puppy that was raised with chickens. Didn't have any other companions. He was just raised with chickens. And he walked around and acted like a chicken. You would have thought by his jumping and how he pecked with his, with his nose, he took on the behavior of the chickens he was raised with. Doesn't matter. He may act like a chicken. He's still a dog. You can go sit in your garage, light up a cigarette, blow fumes out your mouth, go vroom, vroom. You're not a car. You can act like a car, but you're not a car. You're either a sinner or a saint. That's what Paul's saying. And if, if I'm a saint, sin does not have dominion over me. Period. Well, then why do I sin? Because you give in to it. But, but I, let me read this. I want to read it in several different translations. This is Romans 6, 6.14 from the contemporary English version. Don't let sin keep ruling your lives. You are ruled by God's kindness, not by the law. Um, God's words translation. 
Certainly, sin shouldn't have power over you because you're not controlled by God's laws, but by God's favor. I like that one. God has looked on me with favor. The Phillips translation. Sin is not meant to be your master. You are no longer living under the law, but under grace. The Living Bible, sin never need again to be your master. For now you are no longer tied to the law where sin enslaves you, but you are free under God's favor. And then the Passion Translation. Remember this, sin will not conquer you. For God already has. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. Sin cannot conquer me because I've already been conquered by God. When I surrendered to him, he said, you're mine. Those four or five declarations that Peter made over us. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's possession. That's my reality. And it doesn't matter what my behavior reflects. I may be a sheep that's acting like a goat. It's not good. Don't, don't misunderstand me. You live in a pig pen, you're going to pick up mud. And unfortunately, pig pens aren't full of mud. There's a little mud, but there's a lot of other stuff too. And you'll get it in your wool. And you'll stink. But keep in mind that sheep stink too. You know, we always think of sheep as these, the, the little lamb, so white, so fluffy. No. Think of a wool sweater that you dampen and put in a Ziploc and put it in the back of your closet for a year. And then you pull it out and want to wear it. That's how most sheep smell. We don't have to, but we're still sheep, even when we fail. So how do I, how do I reign over this? How do I actually make this happen? Well, my, the first thing I have to do is change my viewpoint of myself. I have to go to 2 Peter 2, 9 and other verses and say, I am chosen. I'm not just part of a chosen people. I am chosen, me. I am a royal priesthood. I'm, I'm a priest right now. Jesus is my high priest, but I'm one of his servants. I am a holy nation. Well, you're not acting very holy. Doesn't matter. Doesn't change my nature. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. You can, you can so emphasize that I'm holy no matter what I do that you just decide you can do anything. Now, if you're not convicted by your wrong behavior, then I question, are, are you really saved? But then I also know that there are times when I get convicted and I think, am I really saved? And I just have to go back to the Bible and say, yes. Well, and the devil will talk to you. He talks to me all the time this way. What would you do if you died? Now, and you had to stand before God just with what you just thought, what you just, you just did. I would say, Lord, I'm coming with empty hands. This is you. I'm trusting you to get me to heaven. I'm trusting you as my Savior. 
It doesn't matter. I can do all the greatest works. I can be the greatest preacher, the most holy person, the greatest husband that ever lived, the greatest father that ever lived, the greatest friend that ever lived. I can give away everything I have. And when I go before Jesus, it's still, this is nothing. This is not why I can stand before you. I can only stand here because of what you did. It's not my actions that get me there. And it's not my actions that keep me there. It's him and him alone. But what else do I have to do? Look at Matthew 28, and I'm almost done. Whether I finish my notes or not, I'm almost done. Matthew 28, this is Jesus giving the, the great commission. Jesus came and he spoke to his disciples. And he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. This is post-resurrection. Jesus died, buried, conquered death, conquered hell. He's been resurrected, and he's, he's come back to earth in a glorified body, walks through walls, locks can't stop him. He is fully manifested second person of the Godhead. And he looks at his disciples and he said, I rule it all. I rule heaven. I rule hell. I rule the earth. I've got authority everywhere that exists. And then he continues, go therefore, because of my authority, you go and you make disciples of all nations. There is an implied contract right there because of my authority and you are one with me. Remember, this is the same Jesus that prayed the prayer in John 17. They will be one with me as I am with you, Father. Because you are one with me, you're going to go in my authority and you're going to make disciples. And you are going to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you're going to teach them how to observe everything that I've commanded you. That's our reality. That's our task. That's why we are here. Now, keep in mind, though, that's the authority that Jesus had post-resurrection. Even pre-resurrection, before the disciples were, were saved, before they were actually one with him in a brand new creation. In Luke 9, he called his 12 disciples and he gave them power and authority over every demon and power to cure diseases. Mark says that post-resurrection, we're supposed to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In, in Luke uh, chapter 10, Jesus says, I give you authority trampled on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Paul laid hold on that one when he was shipwrecked and he reached to get some wood out of a wood pile to put on the fire and a serpent latched onto his hand. He got bit by a poisonous snake and all the people looked at him and said, he's a dead man. And he shook the thing off and went on. And did not die. And they were ready to make him a god. Sacrifice to him. Only a god could survive a poisonous snake bite. No. But he had God on the inside of him. And he knew who he was in Christ. And so he said, I've got to go to Rome. This thing can't kill me. Not my time to die. So I'm not dying. He chose. I'm not dying. That's pretty bold. But then in, in Mark 13... 
Jesus gave the story and when he was talking, using this parable, he said, it's like a man that goes to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants. Jesus has gone to a far country. He is seated in heaven right now. He's not on the earth. You know, we, we pray all the time. If you want to receive Jesus into your heart, do you realize that's really not scriptural? We're receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize God's one. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive Jesus and the Father. But Jesus literally is seated in heaven. It's the Holy Spirit that's here on the earth. We're one with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit we have living on the inside of us, not Jesus. Now, I understand the concept. I'm not arguing what I'm saying is, Jesus said, I'm going to the far country. I'm going to prepare a house for you. I'm giving you my authority because you're my servant. Well, I'm not a servant of God. I'm a son of God. Well, yeah, but a son can also work for dad. I like working for my dad. Because plenty of, of great benefits. Don't have to join the union and fight the man to get my benefits. The owner of the, of the, of the, the um, business is my father, and he's a generous man. And he says, yeah, you want that? Sure. You need a company car? Here, get a big one. You need health insurance? Sure. Be healed. Let's face it. He's got the greatest benefits of any corporation in the, in the universe. But... but so how do, I do, how do I use this authority? And I'm, I'm going to go real quickly. I know. I keep saying that. Someday it'll manifest. But I want you to think of this story. We're not going to go look at it, but I just want you to think about it. The story of the centurion, when, when, when Jesus came and the, he, was going to go to the, excuse me, he was going to go to the centurion's house. Keep in mind, this is a Roman. But Jesus is going to this Roman's house to heal his, his servant. In, in Matthew chapter 8, the story there of the centurion, Matthew says the centurion came to Jesus. And under Jewish law, if a Jew went into a Gentile's house, the Jew became unclean. And he had to go through this elaborate procedure to get his cleanliness back. And so the centurion had great respect for the Jewish law. So he told Jesus, look, I'm not worthy that you come into my house. I don't want you to come and get unclean. Now, Jesus had a revelation that didn't make him unclean. That's why if in, in the natural state of things, if you touched a leper, you became unclean. How many times did Jesus reach up and grab a leper and pray for him? And Jesus' righteousness and health jumped off Jesus onto the leper. You, you need to understand that when you get near sin, sin doesn't jump on you. Your righteousness jumps on it. You have authority over sin. You have authority over all the manifestations of the devil. That's why I've had people say, oh, that person's really spiritual. They've cast out demons. Do you realize I could take any little kid out of children's church if they have any idea that of, of they are a Christian, they have authority over the devil, cast out the strongest devil in the universe. Satan himself can't resist a child's faith let alone a grown-up's faith. We have nothing to fear from the enemy, ever. But the centurion said, look, you don't need to come to my house. 
Just speak the word, because I'm a man under authority, and I know if I say to one of my servants, go and do this, they'll go do it because of my authority. What the centurion recognized right there, that Jesus' words were Jesus' servants, and when he spoke the word, his word caused things to happen. If we are one with him, and we have Jesus' authority, then our words should be our servants and we should send our words to do God's will in this earth and here's here's the way the reason I can say that but that was Jesus you look at Luke's account of that same story Luke never says the centurion came to Jesus he says at first the Jewish elders were sent to Jesus by the centurion and then when, G, when the centurion saw that group of people, the elders that he had sent in his name, and the centurion coming to him, that then sent a group of his friends to talk to Jesus. And the friends told Jesus, look, this man says you don't have to come to his house because he has authority and he knows his authority. All you have to do is speak the word. Do you realize that when, he, when, when the centurion conveyed that truth, it says that Jesus marveled. Only two places, there's a lot of places in the New Testament where people marveled, but only twice that Jesus ever marveled. He marveled at the people of Nazareth when they wouldn't believe who he was. He marveled at their unbelief, and he marveled at the faith of the centurion because the centurion understood that the words of Jesus had the power. But here's the other point. Luke chapter 7 tells me that delegated authority is the exact same thing as that man being there. Matthew says that the centurion went. The centurion never spoke to Jesus face to face. He sent the Jewish elders and he sent his friends. But when those friends and when those Jewish elders spoke for the centurion, they had his delegated authority and it was as if the centurion was speaking to Jesus. That's why it, it, it's, it doesn't say that Jesus marveled at the friend's faith. He marveled at the centurion's faith, and the centurion wasn't even there. So when Jesus tells us, you go because I have authority, he's saying, you go in my name. Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John were at the gate going into the temple, and the guy said, I need some money. Can you help me? And Peter looked at him and said, we don't have any money on us right now, but what I do have is in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk, and he healed him. And then when everybody marveled, he said, why are you looking at us? I'm nothing special. It was through the name, faith in the name of Jesus, that this man stands before you whole. It's as if Jesus was standing right there speaking the word because Peter was speaking in the authority of Jesus. And it was the same as Jesus being there. So when we look at, at our lives and... and uh, um, Paul says that we should rule in life. We should reign as life, in life as kings. How can I rule and reign in life as a king? Because Peter said, Jesus declared that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. I'm a kingly priest. Jesus declared it. And I have his authority. And when I speak, things have to happen if I'm speaking his will and I'm speaking his word. Now, it doesn't mean, I know, well, that's that name it and claim it. That's gab it and grab it. No, I'm not talking about speaking foolishness. I'm not 
talking about a child running around saying, oh, I'm a millionaire. No, I'm saying getting in the word of God and finding out what God's will is. When I see New Testament, Old Testament, that says it is God's will that someone be healed, everyone be healed. Why? Because Jesus paid the price for sin and sickness. Then I can tell anyone I come in contact with, I'm going to lay hands on you and you're going to recover. You're going to be healed. Well, that's kind of bold. Jesus was pretty bold. He, he, he laid hands on a leper, and not only did the leper get healed, he got restored. You ever seen anybody that's had leprosy? They don't, it's, it's not just a matter of getting healed. They lose noses. They lose fingers, hands, body parts. And this guy came to Jesus after Jesus healed him, and Jesus restored body parts. Creative miracle. They didn't exist, and suddenly they're there. How did he do that? Because it was his will. Even in the old covenant, it was his will, let alone in the new covenant. And I wanna, I'm going to finish with this because I just I, I heard this song this week. And it's by Rhett Walker. And the Rhett Walker band, I, I've listened to a lot of their music. It's not for me. They're a Christian rock band. And I mean, it's wow. It's, it's a rock concert but they have a new song out it's not a it's an anthem really it's called believer and if, if you want to listen to it just get on youtube type in rhett walker believer and that'll pull it up but i want you i want you to listen and this is a song but it really does reflect the truth of the new of the of the um, epistles this is the refrain i'm a mountain mover water walker more than just an overcomer because I've been set free. I'm a gospel preacher, heart on fire, freedom singing, testifier, because I've been redeemed. I'm a believer. I know this is not my home. I know I don't walk alone. No matter what comes my way, I have peace through the trouble. I have joy through the struggle. Now my hope's in a brighter day. I'm a child of the Father, an orphan no longer, no doubt about who I am. I'm in the hands of the healer, the arms of the Savior. His grace makes me who I am. I'm a believer. Would to God that we could get a revelation of that simple little songs verse. And if I could sing or play, I'd sit down and play and sing it. It sounds real good when somebody that can do those things does it. I'm not going to torment you and even try. But the, all of that is representative of who the, the, uh, the epistles, the Paul, Peter, Jude, who they declare that we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We are born again. We are brand new. We have his authority have his spirit on the inside of us I can stand before him as if I never sin when I stand in front of the devil and he says you don't even have authority over me why because you sinned I know what you thought I know what you did I know what you wanted to do even though you didn't do it because sometimes it's the want to not the doing and I can look right at him and say it does not matter it's not about me it's about him and I'm standing in his stead and he said you're rebuked and you got to flee so adios we have that authority. We have that in us. That is our purpose to get out there amongst a lost and dying world 
and manifest the glory of God and walk in that authority. Listen to him. Remember, you're not a God in and of, your, of to yourself. You have to listen to him. I, I went there a little while ago about the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. All of that comes down to if you live in the Spirit, you will also walk in the Spirit. You have to listen to what the Spirit says. Because we all have individual callings. We have, all have individual instructions. And we need to get, on our, get in our lane and do our job, but do it knowing it's not, just not me trying to do something. It's God working in me and through me to bless a lost and dying world. The world needs us. There are people going to hell. And I know, I know what the devil will say. I've heard it myself. I know what you were. I know what you did. I've never confessed everything I've ever been involved in because it wouldn't bless anybody. It doesn't even bless me when the devil brings it up to my mind. But that doesn't matter. That's not me. That's not me today. And it doesn't matter whether that sins 25 years ago or 25 seconds ago. I'm a saint. I'm delivered. I'm his child. I am a royal priesthood. I stand in his stead. And when I talk, it's him talking. Well, that's pretty bold. Yeah, it is. And the first few times you try it, you'll be shaking in your boots. But I'm telling you, he'll back you up. When you get bold enough to do what he says you can do, he will back you up because it's his word that's on the line, not yours. And he will back his word up. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.